Thank you, Steve. It's uh, amazing. This is a, a good day. One of the reasons this is a good day is because according to the uh, watch on the pulpit, I have an hour and 45 minutes. So dig in. Um, now we are continuing our study through the book of Romans, and we are in chapter 15. Um, one of the things that I, that I want to point out just at the very beginning is that um, hopefully you know that when the Bible was written, it was not written with chapter breaks or verse breaks. Those were added later. And there are some times that you just have a horrible chapter break. And this is one of those times. And so really, uh, this morning as we look um, at our text, um, you know, we, we want to look beyond this break and know that this is one uh, big uh, section. And so this morning we're going to continue our study and our thought um, on unity, if you've been with us the past four weeks as we've been studying this. And, and I wanted to start by asking the question, um, what sort of things unify us? Uh, you find unity in kind of odd places at times, um, uh, whether that be, you know, you're at a sporting event and you find yourself high-fiving or hugging someone that you don't know because your team scores a touchdown or wins a game. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Uh, you also find yourself being depressed together if you're a Tennessee football fan like I am and comforting one another, odd people that you don't know other than they're wearing an orange hat. Sometimes the thing that unites us, or uh, at least in the, uh, in the realms that I walk in, are kids' athletics as well, that you suddenly, somebody that you don't know before, now all of a sudden you're you're rooting for their kid, and you're rooting against other little kids. No, that's, that does unfortunately happen, but that shouldn't be the case. It was interesting this week. Uh, we, were, uh, we were at my, son, my oldest son's school at parent-teacher conferences, and his math teacher uh, starts speaking this in kind of odd ways and uh, talking about um, that somehow in math they talk about the facts of life you know, not multiplication and division, but the other facts of life. And I was like, this is really odd. And then the teacher starts talking about how he sees it as an opportunity to counteract the evil that is in kids' hearts. And so I'm like, where's he going with this? And then he just bluntly asked us, are you a Christian? I said, yes. And he said, oh, we're on the same team, Team Jesus, and starts uh, uh, uniting there. And that's great. And that's kind of where we're heading today. We're on the same team, Team Jesus. What's interesting, though, if, if you are an observer of culture, if you listen to the news, if you read magazines, you'll hear this mantra that really doesn't make any sense to me. And the mantra that you'll hear a lot permeating through our culture is, is that we need to be, have unity for unity's sake. And if we, if we sit and think long enough, we can probably all think through that we've seen this on a bumper sticker or we've heard this at... Uh, when the news is covering certain rallies or certain things are going on, that you hear this mantra of unity for the sake of unity. And I, I, I just don't even understand this. <laughs> there has to be something that unifies us. I mean, it's great to talk about tolerance and acceptance, but really, we're talking about tolerance and acceptance as long as you don't disagree with what we're being tolerant and acceptant about. So at the very nature of this, there has to be something 
that unifies us. And, and the danger, one of the dangers that we always talk about are these mantras and philosophies of the world that can permeate and get into the church. These worldly mantras can infect us in ways that are bad, can infect us in ways that sometimes we promote this mantra of unity for unity's sake, and so what we do is that we, we, cut, out, we cut out from under the church its authority, the Scriptures, truth. And we can't do this. And, and this mantra doesn't work in the world. Think about the 24-hour news cycle right now. How much unity is there? I, I, I would dare you to go to Capitol Hill right now and try to promote this idea with our lawmakers of them being united for unity's sake. It doesn't last very long. But yet, when we see a tragedy like 9-11 come along, we see that people from different sides of the aisle, can come together and unify. So, the hope that we have as believers, what unites us is that we have a common goal and a common aim. We have one God, and what unites us is that if you have belief in that God, if you have given your life to Christ, then we've been united in one family and have one goal. But the problem is that many times as a church, we lose our way and fractions, fractures begin to happen and their factions raise up within the church and there are cliques that form, not unlike high school, right? I went to Central High School, home of the Purple Pounders. Awesome, yeah, I know. Um, mascots in color, yeah, I have a whole lot of purple gear at my house still from being a Purple Pounder. But what happened is that although that we were in one school and we, had, uh, we were united by that, cliques uh, began to occur. And the cliques would occur along the lines of uh, athletes, people in the band, uh, people that did well academically. All sorts of things happened. And this is kind of what's happening at the church at Rome. This is kind of what Paul is fighting against, this whole idea that there are these things that have divided the Christians at Rome. And Paul's coming back and saying, no, we're not to be divided. We are one family with one goal, one aim, and one purpose. And as we've been going the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about what has divided them has been secondary issues. And it's so vitally important (laughs) that we get that this morning. Uh, And I know I say this every time because there is a danger if you hear me saying unity, and you have in your mind unity for unity's sake, well then what happens is that we cut the truth right out from under the Bible. And so these secondary issues we know are not um, doctrinal issues. They're not issues over sin. What was happening in our text was that the Jews, in the Jews, there was a group of Jews that were looking to promote holiness and to be more holy, and the way that they were doing that was by eating meat. And Paul is saying, don't divide over this. You need to be unified. You are one family with one Lord, one God, with one purpose. Now, um, I do want to say just a word of clarity here. um, Just because as I've talked with some of you uh, throughout the week, and this has nothing to do with the sermon this morning, but I do think it's important maybe to clarify this. When we're talking about weaker and stronger brother issues... 
one of the things I want to be clear about is that not all disagreements or not all um, opinions uh, or, or, or reasons why we do or don't do something has to do with weaker or stronger brother issues. And I just want to just lay this out real quick and then jump back into the sermon. What I mean by this, the best example of this may be uh, drinking alcohol, right? Uh, that, you know, when you look at Scripture, you see that Jesus turned water into wine. There are several places that alcohol is mentioned. What, what I want to be clear about for a minute, and I'm just using this as an example to create more controversy is probably what's going to happen. <laughs> just because the Bible may say that it's okay to do that, it doesn't mean that the person who abstains for that for other reasons is the weaker brother. As long as that person's not looking at the alcohol and the drinking as um, something that defiles in and of itself. And so the goal, the goal then, and that's why, this is why I'm using this, because there's a little bit of humor and I hope it sticks in your brain. So the goal, um, and we're going to see this in encouraging one another in a minute, is not to create a church full of people who consume alcohol so that every function that we have, there's, we're, we're having a kegger. The goal is that whether you partake or abstain, that we love one another, that we unite with one another. And, and not every, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that people can abstain from drinking, and this is just the best example, for other reasons. Maybe they have addiction in their background. Maybe they think it's not the wisest choice. Maybe in the, there are so many reasons why that they can do that. And so I just want to put a parenthesis there and close that and then move on. <laughs> I know. Um, because what Paul is doing here, and, and what I don't want to happen in our church, is for there to be divisions and factions over secondary issues. And Paul is, Paul is continuing as we look at this text this morning to say, look, secondary issues can't divide us. And there's another thing that's going on here that's causing some some splits in the church at Rome. And, and as we look deeper and as we look at our text, and if, as you heard, um, as Steve read, another division that's taking place is that part of this division is, among, is on uh, ethnic or racial lines. And, and we're going to see that this morning. Uh, it's going to be fast and furious here in a minute. But we're going to see that one of the things that Paul, Paul is careful is that ethnicity and race shouldn't divide us. And so we're going to dig into that and see. Now, today, as we're getting into this text, one of the things that I want to take you back to, and you don't have to turn there, let me read it for you, is Romans chapter 1, verse 21. We, we referenced this quite a bit, and several years ago as we looked at this text, um, we saw a, a couple of things here. So listen as I read. And this is the essence of sin. And I think this is the essence of division. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. One of the things that we see from this text is that what should unify us is that our goal in life is to honor God as God, to worship God as God. And any time we take God off the throne and replace that with ourself and our needs and our wants, then what happens is that that promotes a life of sin. And any time we do that, then we're going to have divisions and fractions. 
And so Paul, as he's calling us back, and you will see by the time we end this morning, as he's calling us back, he's saying, don't let your own lust and your own desires take you away from fellowship, take you away from the main thing that you're supposed to be about as a Christian, glorifying and honoring God. Don't let that happen, but rather be unified based on the fact that your goal as a believer, as a child of God, as a member of God's family, is to glorify God as God and give Him thanks for what He has done and will do. And so today, we're going to look at, first, Paul's going to show us how we can work and help each other in this, how God has done that, and then we're going to look at what uh, unity creates. Now, one of the things I'm going to warn you is that there is this very great verse, verse 4, and I'm just going to kind of touch on this and leave this for Gary. Gary next week is going to, I think, preach to us mainly on verse 4, and so I'm looking forward to that. And so as we go through... You may say, there's so much there, and we're just going to touch on it and go. (laughs) So, let's look at verse 1. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. And the first thing that I want you to see is that Paul, when he's addressing the church at Rome, noticed the word that he used. He includes himself into this argument, and he said, we... Now, one of the things that's interesting about this, a few weeks ago we talked about one of the things that was interesting is that he, he took a side, and that is an interesting note. The other thing that's interesting is, is notice who he sides with in this argument. In this argument, Paul sides with the Gentiles. Very clear that these were the stronger brothers, and Paul sides with him. If, if we look, when we look at verse 8 and 9, we see... Uh, that Paul, as he's writing to the church, he talks about uh, the, the, the circumcision or the Jews. And then in verse 9, that's in verse 8 and verse 9, he talks about the Gentiles. So very much in the forefront of Paul's mind is this Jewish-Gentile uh, division. And Paul in this comes in and says, we. Now, as, if we were to go back and look at the previous section in chapter 14 and look at verse 10 and 13 and 21... Paul, in talking about the people in the church, calls them brothers. He uses this family language. In Matthew 12, verse 46 through 50, Jesus says this, While he was speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. And someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. And so what we are to see, and this is of vital importance and of vital significance, Your acceptance into the family of God changes everything. Your acceptance into the family of God changes everything. It should trump ethnicity. It should trump social clubs. It should trump 
socioeconomic status. It should trump geographically where you live. So that when we are interacting with other people who are in Christ, they are no longer just other people, but we are united in Christ and they now become our brothers, our sisters, our mother and our father. They become part of our family, the family of God. As many of you know, uh, Gary and I have met with... uh, pastors, some black pastors, and have developed some great friendships. And one of the discussion points that took place that I thought was just a, a really good discussion by one of the men, uh, one of the, uh, the black pastors at a church downtown, is that he was saying he didn't like the term race relations. And the reason he didn't like the term race relations is that in the Bible there were only two races. You were either in the race of Adam or you were in the race of Christ. And so by even setting up the discussion as far as race relations within the church, we're setting up a false dichotomy. And I love that idea. And this is what we are to be about. Now, let's keep going here. So we have Paul talking about a division within the family of the stronger brother and the weaker brother and he's pushing them towards unity and so he says at the beginning, now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength. Now, something that's very fascinating here that just a casual reading of this text missed the word ought. You're going to say, Lewis, this is really going to be an hour and a half sermon. But the word ought here is not the word like, um, hey, you should consider or you should think about or you might want to do something. The word ought here is the same word that's found in chapter 13, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And if you remember when we talked about that, the word there is, is that word to be a debtor, to owe money, to owe goods, to be obligated to. And so what it's saying here is that we who are strong, we owe it to our brother. You literally owe your brother. You are obligated to the weaker brother. Obligated to the weaker brother to do what? Verse, continuing on in this verse, you're obligated to, to the weaker brother to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Now again, when Paul is saying bear with, what he's not talking about is what your mom and dad wanted you to do with your little brother as you were growing up, which was tolerate. One of the things that I have often said about BJ is that BJ has nerves of steel. When they were leaving to go to reach, just being there near the van, the excitement, I was like, I, my, my nerves would be shot before we turned out of the parking lot. What Paul is not talking about is what those adults had to endure all night as they drove, which is tolerating what the word here means is to to bear with or to get under and to help lift up. How do we treat those that we disagree with on secondary issues? Do we let it divide us? Do we kind of isolate ourselves from them? 
Do we limit our interactions? Do we talk about them behind our back? Do we only group with those who agree with us over secondary issues within the body of Christ? What Paul is telling us is that unity is vitally important and one of the ways that this unity is achieved is that those of you who are strong need to literally come alongside and to get under and to bear with. This can be hard work. The goal is to get over pleasing yourself and taking our obligation seriously, and that is to bear with the weaker brother. Now the goal of this bearing with is found in verse 3. For even if Christ did not... I'm sorry, in verse 2. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Now, what we're... Again, there can be some confusion here. To please our neighbor does not mean um, to, to help our neighbor do uh, what they like or what they think feels good. This could lead to some really bad things if you think about it. Right? So, for example, if you said, Hey, Lewis, I want to do what pleases you, I would say, Hey, dig a swimming pool for me. Right? Or it could be you could head into some really dark, sinful areas. So what's interesting here is that if we just think of it in terms of what I am doing, my goal is to please my neighbor as whatever makes them feel good, uh, we're missing the whole point. That's not what Paul is talking about. He has two purpose clauses here in verse 2 that clarify exactly what he's saying. He said each of us is to please his neighbor for his good and to his edification. For those of you, especially some of the younger folks, that word edification means to build up. And so what Paul is saying, and what is crystal clear when you read this text, this verse in context, is that we are to please our neighbor, and we're to do that by by building one another up, and by doing what is good, so that their faith, that's what they're weak in, they're weak in faith, their faith can be built up in the Lord. What's good for them in the Lord. So we, the key here, is that we, as a family, were created. We have differences, and the goal is unity, that we are to help one another grow in the Lord, to help one another grow in godliness and faith. So this is not unity for the sake of unity. This is unity, the first thing we see, to help one another grow in the Lord. Now the next thing that I want you to see, is that not only are we working to build up one another, but this is an amazing thing in this text that I want you to see. The Godhead, the Trinity, is at work creating unity and building up the church, the bride, the people of God. And you may say, Lewis, where in the world? Okay, hang with me. (laughs) Hang with me. The first thing we see... In verse 3, for even Christ did not please Himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And in some ways this is inserted here because Christ is to be our example. That we are to be like Christ who, who didn't please Himself but gave Himself up 
for us. He took on our burdens. He took on our sin. He took on our shame. He got dirty. He did what He did for us. And ultimately, He bore the cross so that we could have a way to God. And so in some ways, it is being laid out as an example, but in other ways, Paul lays this out to show us what Christ did for you so that you could be unified as a body with one another and unified with God. The second thing that we see, the second, uh, we're, we're taking the Trinity out of order here, I know, <laughs> I'm flowing the way the text is flowing here. But the second person at work for us is God Himself. Look at verse 5. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. And so look at how God does this. Now, this is where we're going to dip into verse 4 and then go right out. Let's dip back into verse 4. Notice the wording here. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Here's where we get similar wording as verse 5. So that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And so you may ask, well, in verse 5, you say it's God that does that. In verse 4, Paul, you're saying it's the Scriptures that does that. And so what is the answer? And the answer is, yes. Meaning that God grants us perseverance and encouragement through the Scriptures. That this is one of the means that God uses to do this in our lives, to build us up. And He gives us an example of this, or I can give you an example of this. Look in verse 8. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, or to the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises given to the fathers. Now, where would the circumcision find the promises given to the fathers? The text, the Old Testament, right? Then notice this. This is mind-boggling. <laughs> this is mind-boggling. Notice the this, this second thing here. And for the Gentiles to glorify God for His mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. This is a quotation. And I will sing your name. And again, he says, another quotation from the Old Testament. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again... Another quotation from the Old Testament. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise Him. And again, Isaiah says, Old Testament, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now the amazing thing about this, when we're talking about the Gentiles, and the reason I keep saying Old Testament, is that as Paul was writing the book of Romans, we didn't have the New Testament. The Scriptures were the Old Testament. And what's amazing here is that Paul looks at these Gentile believers and says not only can the Jews, not only does God use the Scripture for His chosen people, the nation of Israel, the Jews, to find hope and encouragement and perseverance, but you Gentiles, you Gentiles, you've been grafted in, remember chapter 11, and therefore... As you search the Scriptures, you're going to find hope and encouragement as well. And what's really interesting about this is that Paul doesn't say that there are just parts of the Old Testament, but systematically, as Paul is quoting the Old Testament here, he quotes the Torah, 
the Psalms and the prophets. Saying, the whole counsel of God in the Old Testament, you Gentiles, you will find hope and perseverance. So, one of the ways that God does this is through the Scriptures. This is one of the ways that He unifies us and encourages us and, and, and helps us to look towards our hope. The same hope that our brothers and sisters uh, who are Jewish have. And the second way that He does this, and ultimately the way He does this, is in Christ. And we've already looked at this, but notice the emphasis of this in verses 5, 6, and 8. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ. Verse 6, so that with one accord you may, be with one, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 8, for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God. So God sent His Son so that we may be unified and have one encouragement and one hope. And so the last member of the Trinity, did you catch it in verse 13? Did you catch it in verse 13? Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here we have the whole Trinity and here... At the end of this section, what Paul tells us is you can be unified and encouraged in hope, not for the sake of unity, but for the sake of something bigger and better that we're going to get to. And, and the Holy Spirit is at work taking these truths of the Scriptures, taking these truths about God, taking this truth about what Christ has done for you, and is doing for you, interceding on your behalf, taking these truths and applying them to you, bringing them up to you, informing you, encouraging you. The role of the Holy Spirit. So, what I want to ask you this morning, and what I want you to see in the text, is what should this create? What should this create? In verse 5, in verse 5, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind. How in the world can Paul say, be of the same mind, because they were divided over whether or not they could have a bacon sandwich? And remember back to 14.8 where Paul says this, If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Earlier in that, he said, If you eat, you eat for the glory of God. If you abstain, you abstain for the glory of God. And so what he's saying is that over secondary issues, we can stay united in one mind if our focus is the right thing, and that is the glory of God. Now you see where verse, chapter 1, verse 21 can pollute things. Where disunity comes in is when we don't look at glorifying God, but we look at glorifying ourselves, and we become the center of our own life. So we can have the same mind, and that is based on the same motivation, which is in verse 6. So that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.
Christ. This is not unity for the sake of unity. This is a blood-bought family fulfilling the purposes given to them by the Almighty God of the universe, secured by the blood of Christ, and that is, is that you and I live together in unity and in harmony to bring glory and praise to God our Father. You see, we should have more in common with each other than we do with people outside the church. I want to let that sink in a little bit. We should have more in common as brothers and sisters in the Lord than we do with people outside the church. And whether or not this is true about us is dependent upon what is defining us. If what is defining me is the fact that I'm a pastor, if that's what defines me, then guess what? I'm going to have more in common with other pastors or public speakers than I am with people in the church. If what is defining me, young person, is how well I play sports, grades, how well I play in the band, what a good actor I am in the play, if that's what the goal is, if that's what defining is defining you, you're going to have more in common with the people in your schools and in your communities that are doing those things than you are with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that is a dangerous place to be because what God is telling us in this text is that we need one another. That He has called us to be a people together with the unity of mind and unity of voice and unity of mission and unity of goal together going in the same direction. So, several things. I'm not going to say a couple because that denotes two and there's more than two here. Several things that I want to leave you with this morning. The first is this. We must know what and who unites us. There's one person, Jesus Christ, in His blood that unites us with the Father. We must know who it is that unites us. And we must encourage one another and build one another up and remind one another. And we must remind ourselves, as, as the text in previous weeks has said, that we are to treat one another in certain ways because the person that you are interacting with is a person for whom Christ died. And this unites us into that family. And we must remind ourselves of that and remind one another of that. The second thing we must do is that we must use the Scriptures and speak the Scriptures to one another to edify and to build one another up. This Word is where we find hope and life. And we must use it. 
So this place, Signal Mountain Bible Church, has been and must be a place of the Word. And the danger, it can't just be a place of the Word where learning occurs, but it must be a place where the Word is used to culminate ultimately in worship. We understand that. It's vital. Thirdly, we must be a people and a place that worship. And I'm getting this with this with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I was just thinking and meditating on this, I was just thinking about in what ways do we as a church use our voice to, to glorify God, the Lord, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we certainly should do that through song. So our songs should be encouraging to one another and they should be encouraging us because they're about God and they're about Christ and they're about the hope and the encouragement that we have in Him. Our prayers, as we pray aloud, our prayers should be unified in that our prayers are to be uh, to God the Father from us in need of Him and that encourages one another. And We should be lifting up one another's burdens and needs and the other issue here is as we even talk with one another that part of the bearing with and getting under with one another is that our words are unified that we're not speaking things that are going to tear down but we're speaking things that are going to build up and encourage in the Lord and fourthly fourthly we must fight division We must fight division. Remember, this does not mean that we don't take stances on issues of sin and issues of doctrine. But what it means is that we stand against division on secondary issues or along ethnic or racial lines that don't need to be there, that we need to be a place that never divides over that sort of thing but that we stay unified with one another, encouraging one another, that in secondary issues we're bearing with one another, that we're constantly doing this by extending fellowship to one another. Remember, tolerating the weaker brother does not mean putting him in a corner somewhere so you don't have to hear him. Tolerating the weaker brother means extending fellowship, extending hospitality. Loving Him. Teaching. Encouraging. We also fight against division by sacrificing for one another. By loving one another so much. By loving the brother for whom Christ died so much that as we look to Christ that we begin to imitate Christ in our love for the weaker brother. And that sacrifice can come in many forms, as we've talked about over the past couple of weeks. That may come in um, not putting a stumbling block in a brother's way, by abstaining, by not eating meat. Remember last week, I think, we looked at the passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul utters the statement, if, if by my eating meat a brother stumbles, then I'll never eat meat again. Man. Man. Do we love the brother that much? Because the goal, 
the goal, and here's what the goal is for Signal Mountain Bible Church. The goal is that as people come into our fellowship and are around our fellowship, are they attracted? Are they attracted to us because we are similar to them in our likes and preferences? Are they attracted to us because with one voice and one mind, we are glorifying our God? the God and the Father of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. So when they come into our fellowship, do they hear us singing in that way? Do they see us um, praying in that way? Do they see us interacting in that way? And this brings God great glory. Think about this, and I'm ending on this. This brings God great glory when you have a people from every tongue, tribe, nation, from different backgrounds, different places in life, that are together, together, under one goal, with one mind, with one voice. God gets tons of glory from that. He looks upon that and says, this is why I sent my son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us the mind of your son. God, I pray that your spirit would encourage us to live in such a way that where we bear with one another, we encourage one another, we strengthen one another. God, I pray that our goal, the goal of our hearts, the goal of our minds would be your glory. God, I pray this morning for those of us who may be struggling, who uh, who may be your glory is not the goal of our lives, that God, that you would just your spirit would convict us of that this morning. God, so that we can be unified with you and with one another. God, we thank you for Jesus. And it's only in him that any of this is possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.